Welcome back to Swiftly Speaking, folks. I'm Paul Hudson. This is episode 12. And with me today, we have a new guest, Mayuko Inoue, who is a uh, prolific, prolific YouTube creator. I've got stacks of questions for her about her working career in iOS, what she liked and didn't like so much, her experience with Teams, her life on YouTube, and so much more. And of course, as always, I welcome questions from folks in the audience who want to pitch in on topic ideally as we progress through and I'll pick the best and share them here so folks can follow along with those too. Uh, if you have uh, seen one of these talks before, you'll know I have extremely low tolerance for trolls, spam, abuse, anything like that. You'll get an instant channel ban. So uh, please watch out for your language and similar in the chat window. And before I get into it, I want to say thank you to the show sponsor, Essential Developer. They are running a series of free workshops this year to help you level up your skills as an iOS developer. You can find out more at academy.essentialdeveloper.com. As of the intro, how are you doing, Mayuko? I'm doing good. Well, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay too. I'm quite excited actually because it's my first live stream of the year. So anything can go wrong because it's a live stream. <laughs> so of course, it's 2021, new year. Who knows what's gonna happen? Yeah, exactly. It's always 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 fun, right? <laughs> That's what I'm gonna call it. Um, you have in your in your history worked on some massive iOS projects for some big companies, and you have also got a CS degree. You've worked for I said Intuit, Patreon, uh, Netflix most recently. But you've also, at the same time, somehow managed to amass a YouTube channel with almost 400,000 subscribers. All before, all before the age of 30, which is remarkable. It's astonishing. What is your secret? <laughs> my secret, oh boy. Now you put it that I've never had anybody tell my career in that way. And now I'm just like, mm, I'm hyped about my own career, damn. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've been, I think it's a little bit of mixture of luck and hard work and all the things happening in the way that I want them to. Lots of introspection, lots of therapy, lots of meeting people at the right time. It's a lot of things. Who knows what the one thing was? Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's a lot of things. Well, it's obviously come together very well for you because you have hit remarkable success and all absolutely well-deserved on YouTube. You've got a real uh, growing, it's not even a niche anymore. You found your area, you found your hotspot and it's really working for you, right? Which is amazing to see. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, I feel like the whole like tech, like when people think of tech YouTube, they typically think of people like um, MKBHD, Sarah Dietschy, like the tech, tech uh, like gadget reviewers. And so... Um, when I came into kind of the YouTube space, there were tech YouTubers in the sense of like talking about technology and coding, but a lot of them was pretty like purely educational, tutorial-based coding stuff. Uh, and mine, my channel's different. I don't do tutorials. I don't teach coding. Uh, I know that like like you are one of the people who I like really look to who make like really, really incredible coding content. Uh, and I look at that and I'm just like, he's doing it. So like, what can I bring to the table? Um, and the thing that I brought to the table is that I've watched a lot of YouTube. <laughs> and so 
through that, like one of the things that I like about YouTube is that like there's a lot of lifestyle content. And by watching YouTubers, you feel like you get to know who they are as a person. You get to know all their interests. Um, like I grew up, I think I was in high school when like YouTube got really big and in the kind of like neighborhood of the internet and the community that I was in, a big part of the YouTube community was like the Asian American YouTuber community. And until that point, I was like, I don't like, where are they? How do I get to know? Like I had kind of my own cultural identity questions of my own. So Mm. seeing these Asian American YouTubers to look up to and feeling like I can be friends with them and seeing what's on their mind, I felt like a place of belonging. And so I carried that all throughout my career. I was just like, yeah, on the internet, you can find your place and your people. Uh, And like, it's it's a beautiful thing, I think, to be able to have that kind of connection with someone. So that's kind of what I brought to my YouTube channel. I talk about tech, career, and life. Um, so it's a lot of kind of like lifestyle e-content with a hint of tech. Sometimes I talk about like software engineering career advice that I wish people had told me or people had told me through my career going through my four-year degree of computer science and everything throughout. A lot of it is really like I'm making YouTube content uh, for a younger version of myself. Uh, which makes it incredibly easy to think of videos because I'm like, what would I like to have watched? But uh, yeah, it's been really fun to do. It's been really rewarding. It's very different from coding, obviously, because it requires completely different set of skills. But I've been having a lot of fun. So and it's brought me here, I think, to this podcast and the show. So I'm endlessly grateful for um, everything that's happened to this point. Yeah. Well, like I said at the beginning, you have worked with some major iOS teams. Uh, you know, even even just like most recently Netflix, you're talking like, you know, Jordana and Carola is there, you know, some amazing developers working on these these projects. And of course, you were up there as a senior developer. So you've had, I think, six years of these companies in Silicon Valley, which is great. You've now gone to San Diego, I think you said uh, recently. Um, but do you think you throughout these companies, you've got some ideas on uh, tools or techniques or even architectural choices you've made that you found particularly useful for these very, very large, complex and and very important projects. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like like most of the iOS projects that I've worked on have been fairly large with the exception of maybe Patreon, just because when I joined, it was like a two-year-old code base versus Netflix. It was like, It's been around for a while. Millions of people use it. There's a lot more iOS engineers. Um, And I think for me, like I have this kind of like ethos around coding and software development that it's like, it's always like the keep it simple method, I feel like is always the best to start with. Like there's no point in overcomplicating things from the get go. You never want to over engineer things because number one, it takes a lot of time. Number two, it takes a lot of resources. Like why spend effort if you can do that same amount for less? Um, So yeah, I think in every code base that I've been, the things that I've always been amazed by is in the complexity, finding the simplicity, uh, because the simplicity helps in both it just helps in many, many different ways. Like being able to understand the code base like without needing to study it for months on end, I think is an important thing because yeah. you have to study it for months on end and then the world changes and the product changes and everything else is changing. Like it's just a lot of like mental labor, I feel like, just to like be in the code base. Um, and then I think there's something to be said also of just like being able to work on a team, collaborate efficiently, having everyone be aligned with like what's going on in the code base. Obviously, no code base or architecture is ever perfect. Like that's what we all strive for. But is there ever actually a perfect architecture code base? Probably not. Um, and, and so like trying to aim for that, but like 
and and then not making it extra hard for yourself, uh, I think is important. Like being able to onboard new developers to a code base uh, where there isn't a like high learning curve or anything, uh, I, I think is invaluable. Like, I, and but at the same time, there are there is a place for like really state of the art ideas and architectures and work. And I think that happens more at like an industry level of just like being able to move as a whole towards a certain type of programming. I think we're seeing that with like Swift UI in our community, right? Like that's something that React's been doing for years, um, but we're moving it, moving towards it as a whole. So like three years ago, four years ago, when we were talking about that kind of programming, we were like, this makes no sense because it's so different from what we're used to. But now that we're in 2020, we're like, yeah, this is like a thing that we're all talking about and thinking about and this is obviously the way forward that we want to go with and so um yeah i don't know it's it's kind of just like go with go with the flow keep it simple like <laughs> just chill out man you know take it easy just chill out. yeah you just like you try to make something good like you know do your best and try to try to like make it the best you can be like i think coding should be fun so um there's definitely room for creativity obviously but I just, I feel like I've been burned so many times by architectures and patterns that are just like complex just to be complex. Uh, and I'm just, I just don't really see that being like, like overall, uh, like adding as a good thing, like, like positive impact in the end yeah. um, sometimes. And so, yeah, I don't know. Th that's kind of how I stick with it. And my dogs are here. <laughs> <laughs> Yours are way more well-trained. Look at us lying down. Mine, mine are much more hard to control than that. <laughs> yeah, he's in his spot. This is I literally made this window seat, I feel like, for him. So, uh, nice. yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think iOS, uh, and perhaps since the advent of Swift a few years ago, has had a real flourishing of uh, architectural thinking and uh, approaches to building software. And so much of that really, really belongs on the stage at a conference as opposed to in someone's code base. Because, you know, you can get up there and wow me with your brilliant thinking, that's fantastic, but I've got a ton of actual commercially important tasks to implement, plus bugs to work on. Oh, plus there's a new iPhone out with a different screen size, plus there's a new iOS version with new bugs inside it. I'm not gonna think about reallocating my code completely just to fit in with what's shiny and latest and greatest. It is very, very hard, and I know the urge is there, you want to be one of the cool kids, you know? What do you use? Oh, I use this fancy Glamour Pants thing over here. And actually, actually you can't because you've got an actual job to do, actual work shipping software to do. So it's a real, real trade-off, right? It is. It's like such a hard balance to achieve because like, I feel like most of the time, and maybe this is just like me, like I like being busy at work, but I always feel like there's always too much to do as a software developer, like especially as an iOS dev. Not only are you building the things, you're most likely educating people about how mobile development works. You're also doing the whole app store review process, which adds so much more compared to um, other technologies out there. And so like you always have this trade off of like, like actually shipping things um, out into the world that help the business, that help people do whatever they want. Mm. But then also like you still also wanna learn like how other people are doing it and try out new things and like see what other solutions are out there as well. But um, it's a really hard balance to achieve. And I feel like, you know, some, some folks like uh, lean more towards kind of the really like, let's think of the next big thing in architecture and stuff. And like you said, I think those are the talks that belong at conferences. 
Um, because like change takes a while for to set in. So even if they think of something that is state of the art and cool, it takes a while for the developer community to really like think yeah. about it, do on it, make it better, improvements. I mean, I feel like, you know, like Swift has gone through that whole thing of just like when we saw it, we we're like, cool. Swift is cool. Then we went from Swift 2 to Swift 3 and we we're like, Swift kind of sucks. And then now that we're at, you know, five or six, we're like, okay, yeah, no, this is this is good. This is great. Like a lot of community feedback has gone in. It's really stable now. Tooling is there. It's good. But it's taken about this long for us to be like, yes, this is a thing that we like and we're going to go with it forever. So, yeah, it, it, I think it's like we say that technology changes overnight and some dude in a garage is making something like um, world changing and stuff. But like everything else in the world, it takes time for this stuff to really, I think, make a difference. It does. Well, you mentioned that the importance of learning new things as you go. And, you know, it, one of the interesting things that we have is that we have obviously a, a professional route to get into our world. You can go ahead and do a degree or do a boot camp or whatever, or you can just dive in and start making things. And because it is such a chaotic environment, you've got no idea where you come from, what your experience is different to your experience, and da 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 some folks have just got Swift or they have got mm -hmm. Swift and C++ or Swift and C and Python and Rusk and Haskell and da 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 da, da. And they've got these different kinds of worldviews, which is fantastic because you get really, really varied, exciting teams to work with. Do you think it's important for Swift developers to do that, to kind of reach out beyond the, the walled garden of Apple where things are unsafe and who knows what might happen out there and actually dabble around in React, you mentioned, for example? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's interesting because app because Apple is like that closed ecosystem, right? Where Apple literally takes you by the neck and you're like, they're like, use our <laughs> stuff <laughs> or else. <laughs> but then, like, it's like there's so many other things that are happening outside of the world of iOS development, and I think especially after I have like stopped being a professional iOS developer, I'm realizing I'm like, there is a whole lot out there, and there is a lot of movement going on. Um, and, and at the end of the day, like technology as a whole is allowing humanity and society to move forward in some way by unlocking like certain patterns or technologies or by inventing the newest chip that allows us to process like so much data in le le uh, lesser amount of time each year kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and so I think like, you know, as an iOS developer, a lot of us are focused on really going deep within Apple architecture because app, it's it's a deep world. You could go for miles and miles and ages and ages to figure out what's going on there. But I do think there is something to be said about like peeking outside of your own world a little bit, like going to a different country and seeing how things are done there and bringing some of those ideas back into our community because that's when iOS development thrives. I think that's when any technology thrives, when you can borrow ideas and be inspired by other patterns and see how this can help fix the current problems that we have or help unlock potential that we've never been able to before. Mm. I think particularly, I remember uh, reading about SwiftUI in the very early days, and someone was saying, it's brilliant, it's all pure Swift and completely JavaScript free. I'm like, well, yeah, there's no JavaScript in the language, but if you want to tell me that SwiftUI is not somehow magically inspired by React, by the JavaScript <laughs> community that's been doing all this work in this foundation, it just doesn't make sense. We learn so much from these other communities and and they're happy to let us steal stuff. You know, they're not saying, oh yeah, you can't have declarative, whatever it is. Everyone's saying, yeah, take our ideas, take your ideas. We just share it around and we all, all grow together, you know? 
Hundred percent. I would almost venture to say, and this is me, like I'm nowhere near as expert in Swift as you are, but like I'm not even sure we would have Swift if we hadn't looked outside of our little like world garden before. We might have just been okay with Objective C, but we've seen like easier to read, easier to understand, like functional programming languages that happen elsewhere, and we're like, things could be better. And so I feel like that's where kind of like Swift came, and now it's it's so much easier, right? Like we're all like in the Swift world, we're like not looking back at all. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the good things can happen when you when you kind of venture out. Like that's why that's why we travel. That's why we don't eat the same food every day. Like it's good to explore and see what possibilities are out there in the world. It's not scary, folks. Go out there and explore. There's there is, believe it or not, more out there than just Apple. <laughs> even even Swift yes. itself. Let's not forget is written in C, so they're all C plus plus. You know, they're not using Swift for Swift, Swift itself. So uh, yeah, there's that. So uh, apart from just like you know languages and frameworks, like I said, there are different ways you can come into our community. And one of the perennial choices people are faced with, particularly younger folks, is do I want to study for a CS degree? Do I want to go for a boot camp, or uh, do I want to just dive in and buy a Swift book or read the online manual or follow tutorials, whatever it is to learn that way. Do you think it's really beneficial for an iOS developer particularly to go out and get a CS degree? Yeah, I think it really depends. And I think that's probably gonna be my answer for a lot of these things. Um, like I liked, I personally went into iOS development because it was the one area of development where I felt like I could use the things that I learned in my CS degree mm. uh, because it's a lot more like web development to me is like, wild west it's such like <laughs> high level programming out there yeah. like even if you've never you know written uh assembly language before like you're fine like you don't have to know how a, like how all the things happen in order to to do that but like a lot of the concepts that you learn in a cs degree felt really kind of um like there was a parallel between what you would need to know in an ios stack with all of that stuff especially because my university uh was very like hardware focused it was it kind of like um, we did a lot of like stuff that was a bit more lower level programming. So, I mean, that was just my past. And I think it did help me to like grok iOS development better than maybe if I had just gone in. But mm. I also don't think you have to have that knowledge to become an iOS developer. Like you're an iOS developer if you can ship an app. Um, like if you can just like do that, you open up Xcode, you you make something that's useful to someone, even if it's just to you, you can put it in the app store. I think that's just like, you're an iOS developer. Even if you... Mm. Um, if if it's like a Swift framework, you don't even have to like ship it, ship anything to the app store to to be called an iOS developer. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, it depends on like what you want to achieve as an iOS developer. What are you looking for? Like, um, are you trying to become someone who is an expert in like Apple frameworks and uh, the technology itself? Um, are you looking to just like ship a lot of products and like make a lot of apps for people? Um, also like, I think the financial aspect of it is something that's a really big, re uh, like factor in how people decide whether they go into a four-year degree or a boot camp as well. Like what's, can you afford to go to a four-year degree? Or, um, if you're going to go to a boot camp, like, what are you going to do to support that as well? Like you could also be self-taught. Like that's, I think that's one of the best things about development today. You can go, you can come from any background, um, into a field, but each one will have its own um, like challenges, I guess. Like if you go to a four-year degree, you also like end up getting the network of the people that you went to the four-year degree with. You get a, the alumni network, you get career fairs, boot camps, yes, but not to the same extent. Self-taught, it's even harder, but it's not impossible. It really depends on who else you already know, how active you are on, 
on uh, Twitter in the iOS world. Like, mm. it. I think it depends on who you are, what you're willing to do, what you want out of all of this, um, and then just finding the path that fits best for you. Um, as we've seen through all the other ways, all, all the ways that we've seen people come into iOS dev. I, I did a CS degree and uh, I didn't get a lot out of it because I'd, I'd, I'd done CS at the previous exams as well at 16 and 18 and then degree at 21. So uh, I, I, in my exam transcript, my final, you know, certificate that says I literally missed some final exams. I just basically, I, I got really bored of it at that point. I just, I could, just, it was, it was all a repetitive thing I'd done years and years before. It wasn't useful for me. I suck it through stupidly. <laughs> I might have perhaps gone off to Silicon Valley and made a billion somewhere, but I probably, I'm too afraid, I guess. But uh, for me, I'm the kind of person who wants just, just try things out and build things and break things and then build them again and rebuild them and enhance them and hack them and hence hacking with Swift. Um, that's where my brain works. I want I, I need to make things and break them again to understand how they work, which is why I'm not allowed near our TV set. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. where I, everyone's different though, right? So people learn different ways. Definitely, yeah. And I think like now that I've been doing iOS development and I've like gotten to know myself better, I'm the same way too, where I'm just like, I also want to just like, I just want to do it first before learning a theory about like, how is a Swift programming language structured and what are all the things uh, like the theory stuff, right? Like my, my school was very theory based. And so I learned all of that before I, di I, I dove into any type of development. But now that I've been in development, I'm like, yeah, the best way to learn for me is to learn by doing. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I didn't know that at 18. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, you like go to college because that's what you do. Because uh, that's how you get seen as a real adult, which is not the case. Um, but yeah, it, it I think it really depends on like who you are. That's true. So we've talked a little bit about the good things about iOS. Like there is solid money in this. It's a guaranteed money spin if you've got a good idea, which is great. But recently you made a video uh, called uh, Why I Highly Dislike, very, very carefully put written, uh, Why I Highly Dislike iOS Development. And uh, several other things you mentioned in the video will come as no surprise to folks listening to this. Uh, it's expensive. You've got to buy your MacBook Air or MacBook Pro or iMac, whatever you want, so we, you know, your, your iPhone to work with. We all know uh, uh, code deployment. Provisioning profiles and similar are a nightmare. It's horrible. And of course, ultimately, not every company needs to have an app. So it's not as big a market as, say, a website where every company will want to have a website. But there are a couple of points to specifically ask you uh, more about, starting with you saying that you felt iOS development culture was weird. Uh, <laughs> now, I've been in several communities in my time in the past and we're all a bit weird, right? There's, there's no coding. Oh, yeah, those folks, they're normal. <laughs> they're all a bit idiosyncratic in their own way, to put it mildly. Um, do you think the iOS community is, is particularly weird compared to others? I think uh, I think you, you said it well. Like, every community is weird in different <laughs> ways. Um, really, like, my whole career, all I've really ever known is the iOS development community, so I don't have a whole lot to, like, compare it to. But there are times while I've been in the community where I'm just like, hmm, that's weird. Uh, like, every time, like, I think WWDC is, like, an interesting point to examine this because uh, whenever, like, something gets said about, like, oh, we're coming out with this new thing and the applause happens or, like, the Apple developers are just like, yes, you can applaud now. I'm just like, okay, like. <laughs> they literally cool. say that, don't they? They literally say that. Yeah, you they, can applaud, yeah. you can applaud. 
Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we did a good job. Like, I know, I know that you needed that. I, I gave it to you. And I'm just like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, I don't know if it's like weird, but that stuff kind of just makes me cringe a little bit. Cause I'm just like, I get it. Like we all really wanted this. Yes, it is going to help. Like, yeah. Like this applaud comes from somewhere. This is important to have, but like, I don't know. It just feels very, and I think it's because Apple made it be this way because it's a closed ecosystem because, uh, the things that we're celebrating in the end are Apple. And it feels a little bit weird to be celebrating like, um, the, the master that gives us all kind of like, it's just this very weird top down relationship where like, we're, we're all kind of like, uh, like in, this is going to be a very crass example, but like, or analogy, but like, we're all in this kind of like bucket and we're just like looking up to the sky for the hand that's going to feed us. And that hand is always the same and it's always going to be Apple. Um, and that to me, it's, it's a very unique aspect of the iOS development community, uh, compared to others. Um, and, uh, you know, every community has their idiosyncrasies and I just think it's a very interesting thing. I guess I'm not trying to like judge it too hard for it being like, this is bad or good. Like, I don't think there's any good or bad to it or anything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very, like, it's such a culture, I think. Uh, and like after, like, I think the first year that I was doing iOS development, I was just like, okay, like didn't think that I would be, um, doing this in school or like be so excited about what Apple is doing. But now that I am an iOS development or developer, I guess I should be excited for what Apple is doing. Uh, and it feels like it sucks you in a little bit. So yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> well, you, you've been to DubDub and you know the atmosphere there is is, is is febrile. Every small thing, they're chanting and clapping and wooing and shouting for the whole week, pretty much. You know, the Apple staff is there are very, very happy to be there. <laughs> they are totally jazzed to be in that audience and they want us to be as excited. And we're kind of on our phones trying to stare at our feet a little bit. I certainly am. <laughs> and uh, I've certainly been the case where uh, with DubDub particularly, there's there are side entrances you can go into or out from, or at least out from these days, not into anymore, where um, the staffers don't go. So you can, if you if you want to go and get high fives all the way down a line of people, you go out the main entrance. If you're a bit shy like me, a bit introverted, you can go to the side entrance and sneak out the back way, basically. And hooray, you're free from the wooing temporarily. Yeah, the energy levels there are just so like different. Like that whole like the very you know when you like walk into the keynote, like the thing, the wooing and the high fiving, and like the people who are literally there to hype you up because it is something to celebrate. Like we have a once a year celebration for what we do, and we're excited about what's going to come out, and I think it's great. But it's like we have that day, and then like the rest of the week, people like I've had a hard time connecting with. Like I think Dub Dub, one of the coolest things is that it's the biggest gathering of ios like apple developers yes, yes but like most of the time when you just like sit out on that patio at san jose convention center like people aren't really talking to each other they're like real like reading the apple documentation which you know arguably is what dub dub is for it's for the updates that come out but i'm like oh my god i feel like we're missing such an important like cool moment for us to connect with each other and talk about what apps we're working on and share insights and stuff and i think um, certain pockets of that happen at DubDub, like at AltCon, for example, any of the side meetups that happen um, after hours is great. But like at the conference, it's just like you hear the wooing and you feel like part of a team. And the next thing you know, you're one of thousands of people who aren't talking to each other. And it's I've like I just felt very like it's felt very strange to me where I'm just like, I don't know 
what I'm supposed to be hyped about now. <laughs> so, <laughs> or hyped about next. You want to keep up with the, the crowd. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Like I'm just reacting to what these people are yelling at me for. So sure, okay. <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy it. It's a fantastic weekend. I know we fly out on like Wednesday beforehand. So I have a few days to get over the jet lag. And then I have I meet friends who work in California I wouldn't otherwise see. I hang out with folks basically morning till night, having coffee, breakfast, lunch, dinner with different people. to. Cause otherwise, it's, it's like once a year chance and I feel I'm missing out on it. So I know many folks loved last year being remote with super slick videos. But I do pine for in-person dub-dub or something like that to come back because I, I miss my friends i want to go and see them again and chat to them and hang out and stuff because it's, it's really nice it's really really nice yeah that is definitely the best part i think my not last year but the previous year that i went was like the first time that i really like tried to set up meetings and like hang out with people and go to all the events and i was like this is an immensely better experience that i've had at dub dub compared to other years where you just go to the sessions mm. um so it really is like it, it is a great time for the community to connect with each other um and, and i really think that that's what dub dub like that's why it's cool basically and that's why it's fun yeah i agree so apart from us being weird i think us because you're still an <laughs> ios developer you're, you're in the weird category still whether you like it or not yes. <laughs> you, you also mentioned how you felt ios uh, development in the community was too exclusive and uh, honestly I, I agree with you I know I've seen other communities and, and one of my favorites in the in the UK at least is the Python community they're very very inclusive they work super hard to be inclusive and more welcoming to a variety of folks and I, I feel bad because like iOS as you've said you've got to have a certain level of money to get into this thing and you make a lot of money from this thing as well we should be overflowing with opportunities to help people and support and sponsor and, and help generally encourage folks to take part and and we aren't and what what do you think we could do to actually improve here in the iOS community to be more welcoming and more inclusive yeah um i think there's one thing like i always think about this of like how can we make the iOS community more inclusive and also my, more diverse i think there needs to be more entry level iOS positions out mm. there in the world uh, there really aren't that many. I think I've been really lucky to like stumble upon one in my career, which I really accidentally fell into because my hiring manager was like, cool, so we gave you an offer. What do you want to do? And I was like, anything but security and DevOps. And they're like, cool, we have a spot on the iOS team. So that's how I got him. But like all the people who I've talked to in the last couple of years, especially after doing YouTube and hearing their journey of how they want to be an iOS developer, it's incredibly hard to find an entry-level iOS developer position. I mean, it's also incredibly hard to find an entry-level software developer position in general, especially if you're if you didn't go to a four-year university and you're not part of university recruiting. But I think if there is this like huge economic cost to get into iOS development, uh, but like we're also always hiring for iOS developers. Like every company that I've been at has been extraordinarily hard to find iOS developers whenever we have a position open. Um, like to me, I'm just like train somebody. Like the company obviously has three thousand dollars for a Mac. Uh, and also likely the uh, the the headcount or, you know, the, they need the help to build something. And of course, it puts um, it, it puts the onus on senior developers to train that person. But I really think that's how you get more people to come into the iOS developer community. Uh, like every time I've talked about it to a company, they're like, yeah, but like we need someone who can start contributing from the get go. We need a senior developer mm -hmm. with three to five years of experience. I get that. Uh, but like. I really don't think that 
hiring a junior developer hurts that much. Uh, and I think it's overall good for the community too. Um, there's obviously a lot of great um, kind of projects and uh, like nonprofits and stuff about giving Mac uh, like machines to people who are getting into iOS development or who don't have a computer or something. And there's boot camps and programs to teach iOS development. But yeah, the economic factor is still so big. And I know Apple is doing stuff like uh, their Mac Air or their MacBook Air is, is relatively cheap. Um, Swift Playgrounds and iPad is doable. But compared to web development where you literally could buy a $300 laptop uh, like on Amazon and just make whatever you want, it's still like it's still a big difference. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I uh, to me, I'm just like just hire more like make the headcount for junior developers. I really think that's how you do it. Well, I've got a question here uh, from uh, Chef on Clark One saying, uh, morning, guys. Could you guys discuss the new initiatives from the Swift community and even Apple recently to push diversity within the iOS community? Uh, thank you, Chef on Clark there. And it's interesting because a few days ago, uh, the Swift team updated their Swift code of conduct to include oh, examples of behavior that contribute to a positive environment. And the first one on the list was please use welcoming and inclusive languages, e.g. non-gendered words like folks to guys. Yeah. <laughs> so Chef on Clark One here <laughs> saying, uh, morning guys, could you guys discuss it? Da, 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 da. Um, it's an interesting thing because uh, I, I know many folks have it sort of baked into their brain that guys is just uh, everyone. But we have a lot of these kinds of words we use, like Apple have the sort of uh, old trademark insanely great and like well let's bring in some ableism here too shall we and and we, we don't necessarily realize and it's a, a, a obviously a, a learning journey for all of us finally apple realized last august that terms like blacklist can be replaced with blocklist and no one minds uh, we've moved away from master to main for example there are many ways we can do better and uh, i think our community is very well positioned we have a lot of as you said very senior people very experienced people bluntly stacks of money, stacks of resources. We can do so much better, surely. 100%, yeah. It's it's like, it's a difficult mindset change, obviously, to orient yourself to be more inclusive because it does require things like taking out words that you've said your whole life out of your vocabulary and replacing it with new stuff that just feels really weird in the mouth at, at first, like saying y'all or folks or something instead of hey guys. But like that stuff really makes a difference. Uh, like I know that when I'm in a room and I'm the only woman out of, with many engineers and um, people say, hey guys, or like you only use he, him pronouns to describe like inanimate objects and stuff. I feel very like there's no feminine energy going on in this room except for me. Uh, and that feels very weird because then it makes me feel like I have to adapt to whatever is going on. Um, and so obviously there's a huge kind of conversation that's bigger than the iOS development community in terms of like uh, inclusivity in tech, really. Um, how do you make the existing culture more inclusive to people from underrepresented communities, uh, which then hopefully will make the community more diverse, uh, yeah. which is um, we're always focused on like diversifying our community because most tech communities uh, are dominated by cis male uh, straight white men. Um, but like, how can we bring folks from other, um, backgrounds into tech? Cause I think one of the important things is like, at the end of the day, the technology that we create is going to be used by so many different kinds of people. And so 
the people who are going to use it should be represented in the people who are making it, really. Because how are we supposed to know the experience of another human being if we don't identify with them in some way? Um, And so, yeah, I think the Apple community is definitely a part of that. I know that from the Apple's Apple's marketing perspective, it feels a lot like they care about that kind of stuff. Like their ad campaigns um, are super like uh, they represent all kinds of people. And in DubDub, there's great stories that highlight people from different backgrounds as part of the developer community, which I think is wonderful. Um, But it's not maybe as like, Maybe it's just the way that it's communicated, but it doesn't feel as bullish as, like, say, the web development community that uh, has a lot more kind of like momentum and emphasis on these kinds of things. Like, it's a it's a much more um, it, it's a bigger topic of discussion, I think, to talk about those things versus Apple does a lot of things quietly of just like, yeah, let's let's take out. Uh, like those words that we don't want to use anymore in technology and stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, change, again, happens at different rates and in different ways, depending on who's there and who's controlling um, how it happens and how it gets communicated and stuff. But especially in the the iOS developer community, I think we have to keep pushing forward. You mentioned that, you know, occasionally you'd be in a room full of male engineers for Apple and you were the only female there. Do you think Mm -hmm. that, left you feeling almost pressured to represent women and that's like if, if you screwed up you're like oh no on behalf of all women i've failed kind of thing or maybe <laughs> if you fall in a room full of like white women you think oh okay i'm a japanese american i've got to represent japanese americans and, and and fill my space and and do my best on behalf of women or whatever happens to be does that that happen do you think yeah i've heard it happen to a lot of other women i think um for me, you know, because we're all intersectional human beings with lots of different identities. For me, the thing it's more common for me to feel like I'm a Japanese. I'm the only Japanese person in this room. And so whenever like the topic of Japan or Asia comes up, I'm just like, well, I'm the only person with an inkling and in of an idea. And I'm, I didn't even grow up in Japan. Right. Like I, I grew up in the U.S. with Japanese parents. Uh, so I do feel this pressure of just like, I better say something uh, about the knowledge that I guess I have that I was born and raised with uh, about how to talk to Japanese people for this. Like, I don't know. There is this pressure for sure. Um, I try not to like think about it too much because I'm just like, there are people out there who know much more about like certain communities than me. Uh, But I know that like, I shouldn't discount the experiences that I've had as a Japanese American woman. Um, So yeah, there's definitely a bit of tension there. Uh, But luckily nothing that's like, been too hard of a hurdle for me to um to overcome yes okay well let's part ios development and talk about another one of your many many <laughs> broad topics <laughs> you speak about fairly regularly and this is teams and careers and you know career development regardless of ios or otherwise um last year you made a video which i thought was brilliant which was a slightly clickbaity title but you knew this already you knew this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the most important uh, skill in software engineering and um, that skill wasn't be able to write great code first time quickly it wasn't being flawless at debugging it wasn't even heaven forbid being some sort of jira whiz i don't know what right you know the, uh, doesn't wasn't any of those things could you perhaps tell listeners what it was and your reasoning behind it I, I really loved your answer absolutely yeah it was a clickbait title because you know as you do on youtube you got to do that um <laughs> But yeah, I I mean, I still think this is the case, even after a year of making it, the most important skill in software engineering is to learn how to learn. 
Uh, I think that comes from, you know, there's no software engineer out there who knows everything. Uh, I feel like coming into this industry and coming to my own, I used to think that that was the case where you had to have like some baseline level of knowledge, some baseline amount of lines of code you've written or something in order to be seen as like a software engineer to be recognized as such because uh, it felt like that was what was being messaged where it's just like if you don't know how to hack into the mainframe and like do this thing and like use a terminal that only has black and green text like are you a software engineer oh, i love um, your elite I... voice you do <laughs> <laughs> maybe this comes from like 90s movies because I, I think you know i think of movies like uh was it war games or something i think um, that had this very, you know, as we've talked about diversity in tech, a lot of it is um, based on how the media frames software engineers and and then also how we celebrate software engineers uh, yeah. in the general public. So, yeah, I think I, I, I came into the industry thinking that I just like had to be this like dude in a hoodie who like just could type 200 words per minute. But in reality, I think I came to this realization of that the learning how to learn is the most important thing. Cause I was like, I was like three or four years into my career and I was like, so like I made it, like I'm here and I'm a senior software engineer and they just gave me this position. So I guess I'm a software engineer now, but I still don't know how to do all these things that I thought I needed to know how to do. Um, and then, you know, talking to other senior software engineers where like they openly admit that they don't know something. Um, and, and I, and, and then like being, uh, really amazed and inspired by that. I'm just like, man, I really admire the fact that like people like those folks can come out and say like, I don't know what this is, but like I can figure it out. Um, like every skill that I've learned in coding and software engineering, iOS development is stuff that I have learned. It's not something that people are born with. Uh, like when you say you're good at coding, it's not something that just like naturally happens. You like work at it. Um, you practice, you spend time just like seeing what you can do and building stuff and, and improving your skills there. Uh, and so learning how to learn, uh, helps you to get those skills. I think like learning is, a, it's like. It's an important skill no matter what you are, but especially in software engineering because there's just so much stuff to learn um, and uh, so much stuff that you can learn that like if you can learn how to learn efficiently and well, like for instance, in the iOS developer community, once you learn how to make sense of the iOS uh, like developer documentations, like I feel like you feel like you're on top of the world. You're just like, oh my God, this like foreign language I didn't know just all of a sudden makes sense to me. And now I feel like I can learn a lot more about iOS than I ever have. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's, it's the most really important three words ever, right? No overview available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, someone actually said in the comments, um, uh, Aryan Dureha, I guess, uh, said, uh, so many people still don't know how to Google effectively. And it's, it's definitely a skill because like when, if a friend or a family person comes along and says, hey, can you fix my printer? Um, you're like, fine. Google printer, you know, because you do exactly what they would do. You just uh, maybe you've got slightly better Google foo or similar. You know, you, you know the keywords to search for, and, and it gets you a bit closer than they might have done. But ultimately, it's the same steps they would have done themselves because you're kind of doing your best. We've got a comment here uh, from uh, uh, Sharkes Monken, I think. 
which is uh, secretly opening Stack Overflow to resolve basic issues. Do you do that, Mayuko? <laughs> oh, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I have like five different tabs open for how to solve a problem. I compare everything and I'm just like, this seems like what's going on. And I try it. And then, you know, it usually works. When you get some obscure error, I look at it and go, I've got no idea, no idea what that means. Never seen it before in my life. Copy that, yeah. paste it into Google, hope. Some poor soul somewhere else in the world had the same problem. And more importantly, they explained how they fixed that problem. So I can go, aha, that's what it really meant. And then uh, move forward. It, it's, it is difficult. And we can't keep it all in your head, right? There's so much of it. And it's changing all the time. You can't keep that all yeah. in your head. It's not possible. 100%. Yeah. It's, I mean, error messages, you know, are error messages. are not meant to be like, here is what went wrong with your app. And here's exactly all the steps that you took that caused the error. If it did, it'd be like, it would still be cryptic because it'd just be like, but like, I don't get it. And so, you know, they're written in a way that's like easy to identify and easy to figure out what went wrong. And so, yeah, I, I often do the same thing where I'm like, Google, I don't know what they're saying to me. So if you could tell me what they're saying to me, that'd be great. <laughs> It's almost like Google Translate really is what it is. <laughs> Just give me the real meaning of this really error. I mean, Google is a machine and we're working with machines. So we're asking, asking a machine yeah. to translate machines. And Google just happens to know how to talk to humans a little bit more, <laughs> I think, sometimes. So there's a question here uh, from Regan Luigi who says, Hey, y'all, well done. Uh, what do you advise for new college graduate students who have not done any type of internship and are searching for a job at this moment. And obviously, particularly right now, as we record this for folks watching in the far future, where hopefully it's not lava and spiders. Right now, things are pretty bad in 2021, at least at the beginning, uh, just like last year was the uh, coronavirus. Hopefully things aren't getting worse in the future. But right now, it's difficult to look for jobs, perhaps more difficult than usual to look for jobs, and particularly internships, where you kind of want to be alongside someone and have the chance to sit next to somebody and learn from them and get ideas from them and, and see things literally in front of you solved and explained. And that isn't possible because, of course, social distancing and working from home and all that jazz is happening. What advice do you have for someone in that kind of position? Yeah. Um, well, so I feel like at any stage in your career, when you're looking for a job, you're basically trying to prove to an employer that you are worth your value, like you are valuable to them, that your skills are valuable to them, I should say. Mm. Uh, and so internships are a great way to kind of like, like show them the ticket of just like, I've been here before, like, I know how to do this thing a little bit. So like, you know, I have some experience. Um, but like, I don't think it's, like a lot of those things you can learn on your own by doing similar things. Um, so it's all really about like, how can you, how can you prove to an employee that your skills are valuable? And obviously it depends on what kind of job you're going for. Um, like which employer you want to be employed by what your existing skill set is. But I think identifying that gap of like, what do I need to know to get from where I am to where I want to be is important. And I think the best way to do that is to like talk to current engineers, um, talk to engineers of the company that you want to work at and understand what that skill gap is and then work at it. Uh, like if you want to go into iOS development, for example, I think like maybe in some ways more important than doing an internship is like learning, like shipping your very own app into the app store, which you can totally do by yourself, is a really great way to to demonstrate to an employer. I know how to do this. Like I've written an app. I know how views work. Like because by doing that, you're demonstrating. I know how views work. I know how uh, like data 
handling works. I know how like app lifecycle works. I know how the app store review process works, which in and of itself is super valuable. Um, I think all of that kind of stuff is is uh, is a great way to to tell employers like, yo, I can do this. Um, so yeah, I, I would say like, yeah, it, it's basically working on your own skills, figuring out what those skills are, and then networking, like talking to engineers, be like, what's your opinion on on what this on what I should do to get to where you are, um, and, and see what they think, because everyone's gonna give a different answer, I think, depending on who you talk to. So you can find someone who you kind of want to model your career after, who you admire, who you want to like be one day. I think uh, there's a lot of things that can come out from that. So assuming someone's followed your advice, they've shipping up the app store of them networking with engineers they've, they've done what they think they can they're you know they're, they're in a good position and they think now i feel ready to get my first entry-level job i'm ready for this first you know foot on the rung of the ladder and as you said there, there aren't many of them so competition's very very high for those starter jobs what, what what's your advice to get someone that a, a little edge a competitive edge or somebody else to really help them stand out from the pack a little bit and get that first uh, entry-level role right there. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to networking, uh, like literally building a relationship with somebody at that company, I think mm -hmm. is going to be invaluable because when people are looking at resumes and cover letters and doing interviews and stuff, they're basically just trying to figure out like, who are you exactly? Like, what do you bring to the table? What kind of person are you? What skills do you have? But if you have someone on the inside who already like knows who you are, I think mm. that gives a big edge because you're more like, like, you know, people, you know, better, uh, like, uh, this might be, I guess this is really obvious, but like, you know, who, you know, and you don't know who you don't know. <laughs> Was that a Colin Powell quote sort of repurposed a little bit about unknown unknowns and known unknowns and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, basically. I, I mean, you know, like I'm, I am more likely to ask um, someone I know to do something than someone I don't know to do something for me. Uh, so if you can like reach out and it's not just network, but really build a meaningful relationship with, um, I think like when I say like, reach out and network and stuff. It's not just about like two emails where you're just like, hi, I'm this person. I want this job. Can you answer these questions? Thanks. And then they reply, hey, here's your answers. There you go. Goodbye. See you never. Instead of that, it's really like just build a relationship, get to know each other a little better, um, get to know someone's career path. Like what did they go through? Mm. Um, like what are their interests? What do they like and dislike about like their job? Um, get to know what their other interests and hobbies are like a, as a whole human being i think um i think that's uh a really like i think it's kind of one of the beautiful things about being in development of getting to know other people in that way and that can really help with employment i think because when you walk into an interview you, you've given them your resume said you've got 10 years of Swift and 20 years of iOS and 50 years, whatever. It's just whatever you invented to get right on your Because they, they don't know how well your resume reflects what you actually do. This is you describing yourself. And yeah. even if it is very, very close, and you've been very honest and you're very good at self-awareness, which, which is hard, you might totally freeze up an interview. You might struggle mm -hmm. your way and, and fail and flunk the interview for all we know. It's very difficult. So if you can get to know someone, over coffee or breakfast whatever it is even informal mentoring it mm -hmm. it gives you a much better foot in the door 
They now see you in your natural habitat, as it were. This is who you really are over time. Because it's very easy, you know, to blag your way through. Oh, blag's a British term, not an American term. Talk your way through an America, uh, an interview, you know, to, to basically say, oh, I, I basically invented Swift, whatever. You could basically, with confidence and speed, fast talking, you can get through any interview very quickly if you want to. But to really know someone, what they're capable of, even yeah. if they're chronically shy or struggling in an interview, that takes a relationship. It takes time, it takes experience and trust as well. Hundred mm-hmm, percent. Like my first, uh, like real internship, my first real job. Were all like I, I got all of those through relationships that I had built. So like the first internship where I did any about any amount of programming was because I worked as like basically as like an assistant to one of the people at uh it was like a a academic division at my school i worked as an assistant to like this person and i knew that like in the summers they have internships Mm. and so i worked there for like a whole year part-time as a student just like filing papers and doing kind of like manual labor and then uh when it came time for the internship i said i was interested in it and they were like well we know who you are we know what your work ethic is like we know that you're eager to learn we know that you're like doing this in school so like yeah like i didn't even actually have to interview for that position because they were like we know who you are so we're going to give you a spot in the internship program um similarly for my job too i got that job because of the internship but i got that internship because i knew someone on the inside who um, i went to school with i had classes with and he just graduated before me and i was like yo could you like put in a good word for me um, because you know who I am. And he did that. And so I got that job because mm. I was vouched on the uh, from the inside that I could do this. So, yeah, I think the power of like getting to know other people in development, uh, like you never know what's going to happen. And I think like like building those relationships, not just to get what you want, but also to like just broaden your horizons uh, can be uh, really powerful. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, my dogs have just wandered in. <laughs> <laughs> dogs in and out today one one oh two. there you go this is, this is you see now the difference between them this is this is luna the slight brownie sort of face very sunny. i see this that Ari, yeah Aria. oh oh they're, they're quite sweet and very very hungry apparently oh you need more, you need more <laughs> oh. food <laughs> please feed me never never get fed come on then. Come get of the show. yeah you should give your dog a treat as well make it sure it's fair they'll get treats fairly you know it's not fair otherwise yeah, i guess i gotta there's no justice you know <laughs> One. Last one, then you go, okay? You, you, good dog. All right, go, go. All right, it's all right. <laughs> That's the intermission in the, in the middle of the show. <laughs> hey, folks, if you if you, if you you like seeing amazing guests like Miyuko here, you like seeing dogs wandering at dog treats, hit the like button. It's your chance to like the show. It all helps. Anyway, <laughs> so, so they've, 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 they've got their uh, uh, <clears throat> internship done. They're ready to apply for an entry-level job. And they come down to one of the, I find personally, the hardest things you could imagine doing apart from the interview itself, which is writing a really good resume that isn't Mm -hmm. too uh, confident or too uh, uh, hyper-motivated, perhaps, put it that way. Like, I'm really passionate about everything kind of uh, resume, uh, but also isn't too self-deprecating. Certainly a problem that we have in, uh, in the UK where we don't like to use positive words about ourselves. <laughs> we like to be quite downplaying ourselves, which confuses my American friends no end. Um, <laughs> what advice do you have for someone who's trying to put together a, a great resume? Is it, is it list experience at well-known companies or show a variety of skills or something else? 
Yeah, um, I like to go, and maybe this is a personal preference, but I feel like this works pretty well of having a good balance between, it's like 80% showing what you can do and what you have done and bragging about your past accomplishments, uh, which doesn't have to mean like, I am so good at this, or I am competent at this. It can really be just, it, you can be objective about it without necessarily needing to feel like you're bragging. You can be like, I wrote this unit test suite for this, um, for this app that had, you know, 2% coverage, and now we have 40% coverage, which has now reduced the bug backlog by 50% because mm. we've increased our quality. Like, that's a very objective thing. Like, regardless of how you feel about it or not, it happened. And so I think 80% of it is like talking about that. Like, what are the things that you have done? Um, what are, like, if you, if someone, if a robot was to see your accomplishments and what you've done in your career, what would they say? No emotions attached. And then I think another 20% of it, which really comes through in the cover letter, I think, is talking about like, are you excited about this job? Like, what are your passions? What are your interests? Uh, because everyone wants to hire someone who like, like, can I curse on this? Like, like who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> you want to hire someone who would like do a good job and cares about their job, right? Uh, and so I think it's it's a it's a balance of that. And if I had to go any which way, like I would lean more heavily on talking about your past experiences, because if you get the interview, then you have so much time to talk about how hyped you are about a job like there. <laughs> there will be a time for that. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's like being able to talk about it with an objective lens. And one really good way to do that is to hand your resume to people that you trust and that, you know, and who know you really well. Because I did this for my brother, actually, because he's looking for a, a job right now. And he listed out all of his stuff. But I was like, dude, you've actually done way more than this. And I know that because I've seen you and I know exactly what you did. So here are the things that I think you should talk about, because I think that it's worth bragging about. Um, and so we worked together to embellish his resume a little bit. And it's like, I think it's like eons better than what it was before. But he might not have come up with that thing because he's in his own head. He's done those things. He's. Yeah. It's hard to see yourself objectively. But if you get a second opinion, third, fourth, fifth opinion, even um, about like how others would see you and how others have seen your work, it can really help to strengthen your resume and cover letter. It it is hard to see yourself in that way, which is why you say fine if you've got a sister. Of course, it really helps. But someone who can who, can, who like <laughs> who likes you, or <laughs> also we can be crystal of you very clearly. I, I, yeah. had, I a few years ago, I applied to become a chartered engineer, um, which is uh, a professional qualification in the UK. You've got to prove your experience and history that it is. and it's not about writing code it's about you know have you uh supported others have you mentored others have you got an eye on the environment have you got an eye on on revenue concerns whatever it's and it's a it's been a long time to write a 20 page document ended produced by the end of it and it was hard because I, I hadn't really kept good track of my accomplishments if that makes sense because mm -hmm. you, you you ship a, a great thing and you're like great it's done next thing Next thing, next thing, next thing, and it's basically a lot of next things backed up by years and years just going by, and so it came down sitting down saying, "Well, what have I done? Oh yeah, I remember that from oh, last year, <laughs> whatever it yeah. was, because you, you're you're just going on to the next thing always, and actually you have got a stack of big things to talk about if you have a very kind sister who can sit down and give you a kick to, <laughs> to remind you how how great you are, or a friend, or a colleague, whatever it is, someone who can be uh, open and honest about your achievements in a way you otherwise perhaps wouldn't." Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's like the thing that you said about like being able to see, being able to even remember what you've done is probably one of the hardest parts. So like if you, you know, one good way to solve that is like once you're done 
with a project or you've reached a milestone and you do feel like bragging about it, then write it down somewhere and keep a record of it. Yes. Uh, even if it ends up being five pages long, when it comes down to like crafting your resume, at some point when you're looking, you can actually pick and remember at least like, what have I done? Mm. Um, I always try to do that right after a job because after a job, I feel like I just like, don't remember anything that happened. Like you forget all the technical details, you forget all the little things that happened here and there. But in fact, some of those details can really make a difference. Obviously getting a job is, is one point of it, but uh, it can be invaluable to be able to have that um, kind of list of data points about who you are and what you've done. Yeah, and, and writing it down matters. Uh, even if it's small things, you think, oh, yeah. it's only a tiny thing. Write it down because every job's different. You might find the job you're applying for. Oh, that, this tiny thing I did is exactly what they're looking for in this job. So take a note. And if you decide you don't need it, fine. Better to have it than, and not need it than, than realize you really need that thing and you write them down numbers or the experience, you know. So uh, it does matter. So we, we've talked a lot it's about... Like a, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it, it's like writing documentation about yourself, which I know is boring <laughs> and no one wants to do it. But like, yeah, it's like a, if someone wants to read you... Like, what would it say in your readme? What can you do? I think you may have put people off there a little bit. <laughs> Writing documentation. <laughs> oh, no. Bad analogy. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about, about you know, uh, architecture and, and similar or coding tests even on, on, on whiteboards. It, it, it gets intense in interviews because sometimes it is tell us your past experience in detail. Sometimes it is reverse this binary tree in the whiteboard if you're in a particularly nightmarish company perhaps or just confidently talk to us about yourself and your experience whatever it happens to be if a, a listener here is going for an interview soon and is trying to prepare for something what would you suggest they spend more time working on trying to improve ready for the big day yeah um do you mean like in terms of like technical inter the technical interview portion or the whiteboarding interview portion like well you, you could very easily say hey you know i i highly recommend you uh sit and work through leet code style challenges all day uh -huh. for two weeks if that if, if you think yeah. that's a good thing great but you might find actually you know really go through your resume really read what you've said again did you really mean that thing you're a a, a nine out of ten at python i haven't said your interview uh, yeah. so what what kind of things do you think should people be pre preparing for to go into an interview yeah well so i think like part of an, an entire interview process is that they're trying to look at you from many angles uh like holistically speaking so i think it's important to and this might not sound great, but like to prepare for all of it. Uh, so like just- <laughs> It's that easy, just, just doing, do all of it. <laughs> just do all of it. You know, that's how you do it. You just do all of it. Um, but, you know, preparing for the technical interview part is really important, obviously. Like it's one of the hardest parts of the interview. But also if you do, if you fly, if you pass with flying colors to the technical interview, but the behavioral interview doesn't go that great, then that can easily end in a no offer. And so I think like, being able to demonstrate your ability across the board uh, is important. That's why I say all of it. Although there is like, I, I think when I go and prepare for interviews, I prepare for like um, each of those different areas to an extent until I feel like I'm over preparing. So things that I will do is brush up on my past experiences, making sure that when they look through my resume, I can eloquently say all the things that I um, have worked on and I hit yeah. all the points that I want to, doing yeah. that as like a chunk of work. And then once I am done with that, call it done. Like there's not really anything else to do. What I've done is what I've done. Like if I embellish it and talk about it more, it'll sound like it's fake. So like call it done there. <laughs> 
Um, the technical the, the words you say, I want, I want to pick out just briefly because it was exactly right. It's exactly the same. I, I feel hit all my points. That is yeah. like go in into the interview in your mind thinking I've got to, I'm, I'm great at networking I'm great at I don't know stuff 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 really hit those points obviously with proof behind it evidence from your experience and ideally coding ability but you know go with a clear purpose in mind these are things I know I'm good at and if I don't mention those I, I'm really annoyed with myself afterwards exactly it's like have like a three-prong essay like prepared like of this point here are the three things that i can talk about and then also just like like prepare your mind for if they go deeper just like a lot of for me is just like recalling memories and so if i can input those memories put it into the cache of my brain and be like okay it's there it's warmed up i've got it it's like i pulled it out of like the back storage way back in there that's been collecting dust that's it that's good for me My brain is a machine. Um, for the technical part, too, uh, I think it's important to brush up on fundamentals. So if you're going for like a general interview, data structures, algorithms, obviously. Uh, if you're going for iOS stuff, like setting up on UIKit, how to table views, collections view works, like Swift uh, string manipulation APIs, like all the kind of basic stuff, right? Basic! <laughs> ah, Swift strings. Basic. <laughs> um, and then, and then, like, I think, you know, some folks like to go on leak code, some folks like to use cracking the coding interview. But yeah. to me, it's not about like, like, putting all the things that you know, into your brain, like you, you, you put a certain amount, like you put all of the important tools that can fit into your toolbox, but you don't bring your whole entire garage with like every tool that you have, like you just bring like a little carry on of just like, here are the things that I need to do most of the things uh, in an interview. And then after that, I think it's just practice. Um, so instead of going on leak code and solving algorithmic questions, I think it's more valuable to sit down with her friend and ask them to interview you a question. Uh, because at the end of the day, like when you're interviewing, you're not like trying to prove to a computer that you can do work. You're trying to prove to a human that you can do the work. And so like how to tell a human and how to communicate to another person uh, what you're thinking through, how you're solving the problem, um, pseudocode, whiteboarding, all of those are also skills. Uh, and I think by doing that, it, um, it can heavily increase the chances of like being able to get that job. Cause like not every, like I don't think interviews also expect you to know everything. Like every iOS interview that I've been in, when I get when I start to get stuck on like some AV foundation API or something, they're not like you don't know how to do this one thing about like changing bit rates and stuff. They're like it's fine. We like we don't expect you to know this. We mm. get it. Like just pretend that there is some API. Uh, and then move forward. Because the important part is not, have you memorized everything in the book? It's, do you know how to solve problems that you've never seen before? So I think that's that's the most important part. Like, study all of it, but like, study it meaningfully. <laughs> <laughs> study it well. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. study it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got uh, one last question about this career uh, area before we move on, uh, which is that um, in the 2019 Swift Community Awards, um, your talk, Pay It Forward by Being You, was voted the most inspirational presentation of the entire year across all iOS events. Well done. Um, and as part of that, you really encouraged every listener, including me, to make a difference by just talking about technology in whatever way was appropriate or felt right to them. Uh, do you think 
as an industry, we are getting better at kind of welcoming newcomers into the field or is there still significantly amounts of more work to do? Uh, I think definitely we are doing much like every year there's like so much progress in the iOS development community in the broader development community like every year I feel like it's gotten so much better um I still think there's there's always more work to do there's always so much more work to do to get to where we want to go even if we were at the perfect like place where we want to be I think we'll always see that there's work to do because we can always be improving but yeah I, I think um like the fact that every year we get new iOS developers from different part of the world uh, with different backgrounds and stuff who may or may not feel compelled to share their journey even or write one blog post or answer one Stack Overflow question. Um, everyone benefits from that, uh, not just the people who like actually read the blog post or read the Stack Overflow question, but like we are stronger together when we help each other. Uh, and by having various people from different backgrounds who speak different languages, who have different communication styles do that, we're reaching more people, I guess, if that makes sense. Like if we all spoke just one language, uh, we only we limit ourselves to the people who can only understand and speak that language. But in fact, if we can just like broaden it more, then more people can be a part of it. More people will feel welcome. It kind of goes back to the whole inc inclusivity part of it, too. Um, I think by doing that, like you, you it, the community just becomes richer in a sense. So what you're saying is bilingual folks are better. <laughs> <laughs> For folks who don't know, I, I believe Mayoko may be bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> I am indeed. I am indeed. But, uh, yeah, I I don't actually don't talk about iOS development in, in Japanese whatsoever. <laughs> but I think that by growing up as a Japanese person, uh, as an Asian American in California, I have a certain method of communication. Uh, I, I communicate in a specific way that I think resonates with a specific set of people uh, who maybe have never been talked to before in this way. Um, like I like I love to talk about like technical things and analogies because that makes sense to me. Mm. And I know that there are other people out there too. If you put like a really technical document in front of me, I will just like just be so lost sometimes because I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. But if you make an analogy about how that's similar to like a flowing river or something like that, I will get it in an instant. Um, and so yeah, I think like certain, Parts of our identity and background inform the way that we talk to each other. Whether that means that you're bilingual or maybe you're not, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, maybe you just grew up with someone, like maybe a parent or a guardian of yours um, was uh, like a person who talked very technically. And so you've learned how to talk very technically from them. And so you and your communication style can do that uh, and make something that was hard to understand, easy to understand for others. Those are the things that I think um, are, are can make a community richer. The analogy thing explains uh, a lot because I, I remember, I can't remember the name, sorry. Um, Microsoft Mayuko crossover videos where it's like yeah. ex explain Git or something quite hard with toys from right. around this room basically and they couldn't use that it was basically here's like a dinosaur and or playing cards it's the stuff right you've got to explain complicated things in analogy so this is this explains a whole lot about the way you think exactly yeah the i, I believe it was called microsoft crash course and it was like a four to five mini series i did for youtube and with microsoft i was like the host which was so fun i was on a set <laughs> 
with like a whole production crew. There were mm. other folks who were prominent in the community who um, who like teach programming in in different technologies, and we were all called to like explain uh, complex software engineering um, topics trends. Uh, using literal like literally objects. So there was one about um, Git flow. And so we use like little floppy disks and like a little like statue and like yarn and stuff. It was a fun time. But yeah, it's exactly how I think. Like anytime uh, I actually have an analogy for like protocols and delegates in iOS uh, where I like equate it to farming, which who knew that, that there would be an analogy there. But like I there's that's just like how my mind works, you know. I, I, uh, some folks have, uh, well, someone has just joined saying, uh, Muconians assemble. <laughs> uh, it's what Kevin. And I, I love that because it's uh, so many folks have, uh, you know, Twitter followers or YouTube subscribers. I think Mayuko has fans. The brand Hello Mayuko, you have people here. Here's Sonny Verma saying, I love you, Mayuko. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, Aww. that's so kind. Yeah, I uh, I stream on Twitch Monday through Friday, and that's been a really fun place to like kind of gather with the community. So I I think Kevin, uh, I think I know exactly who that is because uh, <laughs> we hang on the Twitch stream. I think what you said about uh, finding different ways to communicate. We are all very different how we learn, how we think, how we express, how we teach. There's the the the, the saying you know if if you want to have if you want to build software for everyone, you've got to have everyone in the room. Nowadays, it's a much catchier way, you know, uh, uh, nothing about us without us. I think it's extremely uh, well concise. So uh, we've just segued carefully there into Twitch slash your new life because for a long time, YouTube was just a side job for you. You did it somehow incredibly successfully <laughs> while also having a full-time job doing iOS now, which is, again, remarkable. Uh, and now it's your full-time job now for at least the last year. Is that about right, I think? And right. I think folks like me certainly want to know how you managed to juggle such a, an important piece of work, a significant, large, successful piece of work alongside a full-time job, plus family, dogs, all that other stuff. And, and particularly, I think, I guess, for listeners here, what tips you have for folks who have their own side projects, how you can encourage them or give them some advice to do better there. Yeah. Uh, so I have a video about how to do it, how to manage a side gig along a full-time gig on my YouTube channel. So like and subscribe, youtube.com slash hello my Hugo. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it, I did the side gig thing for two years um, while I worked full-time as a software engineer. And it, it was, you know, it was challenging. Um, I mean, I think I started my YouTube channel because originally I was just like, I just want to do more stuff outside of my full-time role. I was just really hungry to like be making an impact in a different way from the stuff I was doing in my nine to five. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, really just like, I just like really, really want to freaking do this. But, uh, you know, even with that hunger, it's, it was still hard to manage it. Like there was just times where like it was crunch time at work or I was just really burned out by everything else that was happening. There was a period when I was drinking at Patreon and I had like, I was commuting three hours a day. Um, and so life stuff was still happening all alongside that. But uh, I just really enjoyed doing YouTube. I very early um, defined what it was that I was trying to do on YouTube. Like I, mm. I, uh, my very first video that I posted was a day in the life of a software engineer, um, back in 2017 that went viral 
by pure chance and luck, not knowing anything about how the YouTube algorithm works. And so that kind of like set forward this like momentum of me, like making more videos um, and like actually having a channel and not just a one-off video. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I made that and I was just like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here though. Like I made that video, that was fun, but like what else should I make? I don't know, like should I be posting on Instagram now? Like what the heck am I doing? <laughs> Um, luckily at that time, because I was working at Patreon, I was surrounded by a lot of incredible creator people. Uh, and I was able to talk to Jack Conti, who's the CEO of Patreon, who is an amazing creator in his own right. He's been doing YouTube for so long. He's had many successful channels. And I was just like, dude, Jack, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, and he really helped me to focus what that was. He asked me some really hard questions about like, like, why did you make a video? Uh, like why, like, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years? What are you good at? What do you not want to be doing? What excites you? Um, it was these really kind of like, like intense questions that I had to ask myself of like, yeah, like, what am I doing here? Like, what do I want to do here? And, uh, so it, it was basically within that first six months that I was able to identify that, like, I want to make YouTube content to help people from underrepresented backgrounds enter the tech industry and feel like they belong here. Um, and that was kind of like my mission statement. I was like, that is what I'm here to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but whatever I do, it's for that one thing. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't really largely changed that much. Like my thing is still very much about like, yeah, the tech industry feels scary. Everything that happens online, like the conversations around Google and Facebook and Team Blind is just a toxic place. Like, you know, how how can we make it feel like people, like we want people here, because we do. Uh, and how do we make them feel like they can succeed? Um, and so after I identified that, it was really easy for me to like, like, I guess, get that motivation whenever there was a video idea that came up. I was like, oh, why do I want to make this video? Oh, because I want to help these people who are having trouble with interviewing or who are interested in iOS development to come in. Um, so I think really identifying that, like, why do you want to do this uh, is important. And that answer can be anything. It can be anything from, like, it's going to help me get a job in the future to, like, it's just fun and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Or, like, I don't know yet, but I want to keep doing it. Like, those are all valid answers. Um, but motivation is the hardest thing when it comes to side gigs. And I think like asking yourself those questions and doing some really deep introspection um, can can really help with that a lot. Uh, but I think in the meantime, too, like I went to therapy and I still go to therapy um, to help me like balance my life better and like uh, make sure that I'm not burning out and making sure mm. that everything else in my life is not suffering. Like I, I'm someone who needs like nine hours of sleep and needs to eat well, or else I can't function as a human being. And uh, I need like other people to help me sometimes rem remind my remind me to take care of myself. Um, mm. I think I do a pretty good job because I will stay in bed all day. Uh, but like, yeah, it's it's um, I think. It's just a lot of introspection <laughs> is is what's worked for me for for how to do all that. I I've got questions, but I just want to say, folks, she's absolutely right. Therapy is amazing. I see a therapist right now. We're in lockdown right now, but before lockdown, I was seeing a therapist every single week. It really, really helps having someone else to talk to. You know, is not going to judge you. Who'll ask you very gentle questions. Who wants the best for you? It is a huge thing. 
Uh, and right, if you're listening and you're thinking, should I get a therapist? You should get a therapist. Uh, so I wish I remember who tweeted this. I wish I remember who it was, but it's, it really struck me, which is you you either uh, uh, go and see a therapist and deal with problems yourself, or you're making other folks deal with your own problems for you. Someone's got to deal with them. It's going to be your, your colleagues or it can be you and your therapist. So, you know, yeah, take the easy, uh, easy, nice way. Uh, I, your, your, your mission statement is quite perfect. It's just beautiful. I love it. And I don't think perhaps everyone listening realizes that when you are having a very hard time in your full-time job and you, you, you've got family or friends or life gets in the way, your roof's leaking, who knows what, to then say, no, 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 I'm going to still make time in my day, my week, whatever, to make this idea, this video. I know it will help people. And every video you make is a gamble, Right. Because it, 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 it might it might not be anywhere near popular enough given the amount of hours you put into it. Because it's a lot of work making videos, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a gamble. And so to say, I'm going to put this thing here and carve an extra time, even though I'm feeling tired or worn out, I'll find the time to do that. Because you knew your audience needed it, wanted it, would benefit from it. It's just, it's amazing. It's like chef's kiss over YouTube Live. It's, I just <laughs> I, I absolutely love that, that, that message because it's just exactly where I want more people to be. Anyway, Thank so uh, yeah. I just love what you're doing, but I'm saying it's a short version. <laughs> but, <Thanks>. but, uh, <laughs> after years, though, of, of, of working like, Patreon, Netflix, in, into it and more, you obviously made a choice somewhere. Something decided, I've had enough of this iOS gig now. <laughs> I want to switch and go YouTube full-time. What, what happened there? Why, why then? Yeah. Um, so I was at Netflix. Well, actually, it kind of happened even before I was at Netflix, to be completely honest with you. Um, like kind of towards the end of my tenure at Patreon, I was a little bit like, like, what do I want to do next? Like to me, like I really enjoyed my time at Patreon because Patreon, for those of you who don't know, is a startup in San Francisco that helps creators get paid for the work that they do through memberships. Mm. Um, and so I, I was just so jazzed about working there. The culture was great. The people that I worked with was amazing. Um, and so after like I had spent my time there, I was just like, what do I do now? Like I kind of worked at the company that heavily aligns with my interests, like my personal interests. Um, and so I was like, well, I know I don't want to work at Patreon anymore, just because it felt like my time was up. I was done. Like the company was changing in ways that I was like, ah, like, you know, maybe I don't want to stick around for this. And so I like was like, I guess I'm going to leave my job. But like at that time, I was like, there's no way I'm going to leave this job and not have another one lined up. So that's when I started talking to Jordana at Netflix. And I was just like, hey, so like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I think Netflix could be really cool because it's completely different from what I've done in the past. Like at Patreon, I was on a team of three iOS developers. Y'all have like 15 and like it's a much bigger product, obviously, uh, and like bigger code base. Like I, I think this like I don't know what it is, but I, I want to try it out. Um, so then I got the job at Netflix and I was like, yeah, let's just be open-minded, see what happens. Like there was a point in which I was like, maybe I want to go into management a little bit because I do like working with people. Um, but still in kind of like sort of a technical aspect, but like, I was a little bit like, I don't know if this is what I want to be doing. It's just, I don't know that I find the same fulfillment in my job as working as an iOS developer as I have in my side gig as a YouTuber. Because uh, on YouTube, like because of the videos that I make, I get a lot of DMs and comments and stuff about people who are, you know, in 
um, college doing computer science or who were looking to do that career change. And a lot of people messaged me and were like, yo, your videos have really helped me um, to get into the right mindset or it helped me to get a job. And I was just like, dude, I'm like making a difference through just like the videos I make at my house by myself. Uh, and so the fulfillment was like really massive. And I was just like, this is something really cool. And my channel is doing well. Like at that point, I think I had like 200 something thousand subscribers. And I was like, well, that doesn't happen to everybody. Like I like what would happen if I really put some effort into this and like actually try to post regularly because there were times where I didn't post for like three months because life was intense. Um, and I just started kind of toying with that idea. And so it was at the end of 2019 that I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. Uh, like before I made any of that decision, I was like, can I sustain myself financially to do this? Um, like I, I, it's, it's really scary for me to go from a full-time job with salary and healthcare to like not. Uh, but I have to credit my husband cause you know, he has a full-time, uh, job and he, like, we talked about it a lot and he was like, yeah, you can do this. We're fine. We did a lot of like projections and, and like talking about whether we're going to be okay, um, in doing this. And so, yeah. And, and so then it was a matter of like, do I want to do this? And at a certain point I was like, you know, yeah, I do. I really do want to do this. Um, I wanted to try this out and build my own channel and business, like, earlier rather than later because I knew I was just I have the energy for it right now um, I have the hunger for it right now and so I wanted to kind of strike while the iron was hot uh, and so I left my job at Netflix exactly almost exactly a year from like now ish um, I took some time off to just like chill and like rest I was also dealing with some really intense anxiety at the time so I was just like recovering from all of that as well and then around March time I really kind of was just like all right like like let's try it out um it also really helped me that I was like I'm gonna try this for six months and see if it works like if it doesn't work then I will consider going back um to Netflix or iOS developer job whatever uh, but I'm I'm going to keep reassessing whether this makes sense. And so I did. And it did keep making sense. Thank goodness. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. This is working. And so that's, that's kind of how it happened. It was a very like, it feels like a huge jump. But in fact, there were just so many points of consideration. And like, does this make sense? Some spreadsheets and uh, some like just milestones to like really assess whether this was still in fact a good idea even if i had uh like made the jump so yeah it, and i'm i'm still here making youtube <laughs> so <laughs> i'm feeling pretty good about it it's interesting that i think externally folks can look at someone who's successful and think wow they've got this all planned out they've got it all you know nailed this thing when actually you've you've said spreadsheets you've spread planning you've said lucky quite a few times you know there's mm -hmm. there's there's no grand plan bringing things together often it's about putting in some work taking some risks being in the right place at the right time you know it's it, it's it's fairly simple stuff when it comes down to it you've got this big spreadsheet and yes the numbers are green that's a good sign they're not yeah. red we can do this thing you know uh, and it, and it's actually that easy sometimes obviously it's a lot of work to get to that point but sometimes it is just a bit of risk a bit of planning and a bit of uh, being lucky 100 percent. like i i think so I, I think it was also like, it was just so much of a mental shift in my mind to allow myself to do this too. Cause I'm like a child of immigrants. And so like my, my parents, like when I was in high school, they were like, you can do whatever you want, 
but you have to make sure you can financially sustain yourself once you're out of college because we cannot. And so, I mean, that was a big reason for why I like went into computer science, even though it was like, I don't know how to code at all, but I heard this thing pays well. And so I went into that. And so like my whole six years as a software developer was like pretty risk averse. But at the same time, like I... Um, I wanted to stay authentic and true to myself, which is why I hopped to different companies to try to figure out, like, do I enjoy doing this at least, you know? Um, and I did, like, the whole time. I really enjoyed what I was doing. Um, but, like, when it came time to, like, figure out whether I wanted to make this jump, it really was, like, I had to basically, like, shed this um, 20, like, this this value that I had for 20 something years out of my brain and be okay with it, which honestly, it's like I had a really bad panic attack, uh, like right around the time that I had decided to do it just because like my whole world was shaken. Like it was basically just like, girl, you do realize you're putting yourself in so much danger right now. And it was like 20 years of conditioning my brain to that point. Um, which is honestly where therapy really helped again. Cause it was just like, okay, is this like as big of a risk as my brain is saying it is, is there a big giant monster actually coming to eat me? Uh, and is that why my adrenaline goes like crazy every few minutes? No, like I have a backup plan. I have a safety plan in case this doesn't work. Um, and I allowed my, like my kind of like, I guess passion or drive to like, and like the kind of positive thinking to inform what I really wanted to do. I knew I was going to be scared of it no matter what, but it like, if this was something that I wanted to do, then I wanted to do it. Um, and so I did, and it was scary, but like now I'm looking back on it. I'm so glad that I did that work. And I'm so glad that even though I was terrified of it, I was able to overcome it. And so it's one of the things that I'm most proud of in my journey more so than like, some of the videos that I've made and stuff. I'm just proud of the the personal challenges that I was able to overcome and like the hurdles mentally that I was able to do, which is completely invisible to anybody who's not in my mind, unless mm -hmm. I talk about it. Yeah. Well, actually, Han Kim just said, thanks for sharing about mental health because it doesn't yeah. happen that often, you know, and, and I think particularly these last sort of 12 months or so have been very, very hard on everyone's mental health because not only work, family, the mortgage to pay, but also now this general life anxiety weighing down your shoulders because it's, it's it's pretty grim out there. Do you, do you yeah. curiosity, do you intend to keep your iOS knowledge still? Now you're a, now you're a super big star <laughs> YouTuber. Is iOS still a thing for you or are you now one of the cool kids and we're, we're the weird ones? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I still do want to keep it up. Uh, like, part of me is, like, the stubborn part of it where I'm just like, I've worked too hard to let this go down. <laughs> I can't let this knowledge go to waste. Uh, mm. And so I try to keep it up, but it's definitely not anywhere near, like, the cadence that I was at. Um, last year, I was, like, really curious about SwiftUI because I was like, that's what the iOS community is doing now, so I'm going to try it out. And I used yeah. so many of your tutorials because I was <laughs> like, SwiftUI? Oh, I need Paul to like explain this to me. But yeah, I, I think like it's not maybe my top priority anymore because most of the people that I'm making content for is not going into iOS development specifically, but I still have this knowledge and I still want to be plugged into technology because that's that's where I came from. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of, it's like one of the side, that's like one of the side things now actually. <laughs> It just figures, doesn't it? Spend, spend six years working in old UI kit. As soon as you leave, bang, it's a new way of doing it, hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm 
like, oh my gosh. But you know, it's like going to be a while before it's like fully adopted. But from what I have played with it, I am excited. It's like, it's, it's fun. I really enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. You know, one of the things yeah. I like about uh, the way you make your videos is because you don't just focus on code. You know, you know that people aren't coming to learn Swift UI or Swift from you. So you talk about desk setups, you talk about career tips, you talk about what it's like growing up as a Japanese American, and even your hair care routine. Everything is in there somewhere. In fact, in the middle of the video, you're like, okay, I'm gonna make lunch. And it's you making lunch for a while, <laughs> eating lunch, and that's brilliant. You get a real slice of life of just being you alongside coding, tech, career, all the other stuff. But a month ago or so, you posted something that I thought was actually quite hard to watch. It was actually quite upsetting for you, obviously, and, and, and us as well. It was a, a really emotional account of you uh, streaming a coding tutorial on Twitch. And trust mm -hmm. me, I've done a lot of live stuff. I know things catch fire immediately. Uh, and predictably, you had a lot of folks uh, help trying to help. And some were quite pushy about giving you advice and you found it overwhelming with their approach and um you're you you're people that worked at huge companies and you've got a massive following who love you and love your work and they respect you what you do do you think having that kind of response even when it's you just puts off a lot of people who are perhaps particularly women who genuinely for some reason don't want to be mansplained to live on a stream yeah, definitely. It 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 was hard for me to decide whether to actually put that in a vlog or not. But one of the things that um like you mentioned, like that I that I try to put in my videos is a, a level of honesty and authenticity. Like, yes, a lot of my videos are about like, yes, tech is so cool, coding is great, software engineering is fun. Here's all the things you need to do to do it. But like not everything is rosy, perfect all the time. And I think it's important to know what happens mm. uh, behind the scenes and to kind of just, it's not really, like, I, it's not, I'm not trying to warn people like, this is the shit that you might have to deal with. But it's just like, you know, this happens. Like to me, to you, to anybody, like sure, maybe I've had this career and stuff, but like, I'm still such a human being that has feelings and reacts to people that says stuff. Um, it's honestly kind of weird because like being an influencer or YouTuber, it's like you see these numbers and stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm like, but I'm just like a human who just like happens to like post things online. Um, but I, 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 I think that's one of the things that I try to like keep integral as part of everything. Like I am human. I'm just a person who's trying to figure out life like everybody else. Um, and so, oh, goodness, I just closed my windows hello you hear me i still hear I'm you like, okay good <laughs> okay sorry there's a demonstration Windows. live she's completely human she can just close things <laughs> randomly <laughs> oh my goodness i'm gonna put my keyboard somewhere else yes um, but yeah uh it, it's i think i i wanted to put that in a vlog because mm. it's like just because I've had this thing doesn't mean that I don't feel things uh, and it still happens. Like a, a lot of the kind of reaction that I had to the people who were being a little bit pushy on on Twitch was really like, I realized after a while, after like really thinking about like, why did that upset me so much? Why was I crying? And it was because it reminded me of times that I was at work and like coworkers or like um, senior managers or, or like people who were, you know, 
more experienced than me had done something similar to me. Um, and I, I, and I don't think I've ever thought of those times as like, wow, that really sucked and it really bothered me. But like, I think the reaction, the emotional reaction that I had on, uh, after the stream, like reminded me that it's like, yeah, you know, that stuff did hurt and that mm -hmm. stuff does happen. And it's not uncommon, especially for women to feel that. Um, and so, yeah, it was a hard thing to share, but like, I feel like we sometimes often forget that developers are people and that like, you know, especially because of a lot of our work is online and through text and through websites and chat stuff. Um, it's still really important to treat each other as human beings. And one of the things that I've like really been careful about in the online communities that I am a part of or that I am responsible for, I often tell people like, don't tell, don't say things that you wouldn't say to people in person uh, like just cause you're online and anonymous and people don't know who or where you are. doesn't mean that doesn't give you an excuse to be a bad person. Like I have zero tolerance for that. Um, and so, yeah, I, it was, it was tough and I realized it was hard to watch, but I think it's, it's reality really. If anything, I've been really lucky that I haven't had worse experiences. Mm. Um, but it, it was a very real moment for me that I wanted to share. But also by sharing, of course, other folks who've had the same kind of experience know I'm not alone. This person who I really respect has exactly the same situation as me and they feel better encouraged and, and, and some solidarity there, you know? Yeah. One of the interesting parts about that video, which I wasn't really expecting, was in the comments, a lot of women were like, I have had the same exact experience. I know exactly what you think. You know, not just women, but people who have had their feelings hurt uh, by other people who steamrolled like answers and solutions and stuff to them. Um, so it was kind of this like, yeah, like, you know, this is this is is not just me like and that made me feel validated too of just like okay i'm not the only one who has like who's too sensitive or something like i know who i am and i'm not going to judge myself for that um and these things do happen and i will process them in the way that i want to but so is everybody else so yeah well a question here from a mutual friend of ours um someone with whom you have a, a deep connection on a, on a lego level uh it's sean allen who says, uh, <laughs> how has regularly working live on Twitch with people watching helped or perhaps hurt your productivity? Ooh, good question. Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know, the Twitch streams that I do are co-working, co-studying streams where I set Pomodoro timers. Um, they're basically 25 to 50 minute timers where we work during that period and then we take a break. I play chill, lo-fi music. And so it's just like, I, I made it at the beginning of the pandemic because I was like, I miss having coworkers, and I think other people probably do too. So let's just have a place where we all hang out and chat together um, and, and do work together. But uh, I think it's actually helped my productivity because it holds me accountable for like sitting at my desk for X amount of hours during the day. Um, and like it's made work more enjoyable. Like oftentimes on the streams, I don't show what I'm doing on my screen because like personal information and I don't want to like leak what video I'm making next and stuff. But oftentimes I'm doing work like editing a video or writing a video. Sometimes I film a video. Uh, last week I painted my room on stream. <laughs> and like uh, there's just things that I do like pretty like labor intensive things on stream. And so, yeah, it's helped me to just like sit and do stuff. And doing Pomodoro timers with other people makes it feel like I'm like at a cafe or something. Uh, but still practicing good social distancing and not giving COVID to people. So yeah, it's been it's helping me. I know for some people it's a little distracting, but um, for me it's been working a lot. 
That's great. So you've, you've yeah. built up a huge audience now on, and growing on Twitch, but uh, primarily on, on, on YouTube, all 100% well-deserved. But you started like anyone else, you know, with zero audience, no subscribers, no listeners, nothing at all, and no experience also in creating your videos, how to make them, what to make, and more. So if someone's listening to this thinking, they'd like to follow in your footsteps. They've seen what you do, admire you, respect you, and want to be like you. Uh, don't say, you know, no, leave me alone. My, <laughs> this is my job, my videos are great, I want the money. <laughs> if they want to respect you and follow you, but they maybe lack some confidence or perhaps don't even know where to start, what would your advice be? Yeah, well, so um, specifically for like videos and stuff, I find that there's so much of a parallel between making videos and making software. Uh, like a lot of the skills that I learned as a software engineer, I've brought to like everything I do on YouTube. Mm. So like the whole like learning how to learn thing for software engineering, like learning how to Google the right things, learning how to learn things from tutorials and other online content has helped me so much in learning how to edit stuff and do cool transitions and like watch how other people are doing things. Um, right. And so I think like there's definitely transferable skills there, number one. Like I think yeah. starting from scratch never actually means starting from scratch because you're building upon existing foundations that you're borrowing from other things. Mm -hmm. um, I think otherwise it's like, uh, honestly, this is like, honestly, I think a shitty piece of advice, but like just doing it can really help. Like I'm someone who gets into my head about like, is this the right thing to be doing? Should I be doing this? If so, like what would happen if this plays out and that plays out <laughs> and you just think forever without doing anything. But in reality, I think in order to get to that, like you have to take the first step to get to the next step. So like just ripping the bandaid and taking that first step can be so helpful because then like, then you have a whole new set of worries that you can tackle next and next and next and next. <laughs> now we've burned this first bridge. There's all more bridges we could burn in this direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you just have to like, you just have to go for it sometimes. Mm. And I know it, it's so much easier said than done. Um, for me, one thing that really helped was that when I was starting YouTube, I had a friend who was also starting YouTube. His name's Jarvis, who he has like a million subscribers now. So he's been wildly successful. Um, but we started at the same time. We were both like, I want to start a YouTube channel. So we both like made our first videos together. We both made our camera. We both bought our cameras together. Uh, we talked about like all of this, like, we're like, should we worry about this? Like, what kind of lighting is important? Mm. Like, does it matter whether you have a Canon camera or a Sony camera? And we would share with each other the things that we learned. And then, like, once the first one of us posted a video, we're, the other one was like, oh, I should post a video too. So it kind of became this cool, like, no, it's not really, like, competitive, but it was just like you're doing it with someone and it doesn't feel as yeah. scary anymore because you're doing it with somebody else. So finding a buddy, finding accountability groups, even if someone's not doing it with you, if you tell someone, like, hey, I want to do this thing, can you, like, hold me accountable for it, um, can also help with the whole, like, ripping off the Band-Aid thing because it's not just a you thing anymore. And hopefully if it's someone that, you know, is super excited about what you're doing, they can celebrate with you, like, that's uh, also a fun thing to be able to do and share with someone. So yeah, there, there's a, there's many ways to go about doing it, but like just doing it and learning how to do it online. <laughs> um, so there you go, folks. You think about getting into video production or video creation about iOS or mountain bikes or guitars or knitting, whatever it is your, your interest, rip off the Band-Aid, JFDI. Uh, Mayuko has stamped it with her approval. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah. 
I think uh, I, the, actually when you were saying that, the other thing that I thought about was like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like you're going to learn as you go. The first thing that you're probably going to make, I don't know if you remember the first tutorial that you made, but like, I just like thinking about the quality now versus then is just like worlds of a difference. Um, and like, it's, I've gotten better because I've done it. And so like, sometimes you have to forgive yourself that you're going to be really bad at it f at first. I gave myself like a, the first 20 videos don't count. Like they can be super bad. I just have to make 20 videos and that's my goal. Like do whatever you have to do to like get your brain into the, into the, um, action of doing, I think. I do remember my first tour I wrote because it was printed in an interna international magazine in print. <gasps> so I still have that, sadly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it was on PHP. It's even worse. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, I, I still write a lot of PHP. I've got a lot of love PHP. It's a chaotic place to be, but it started me off in a great way. Anyway, thank you for giving up so much time. Just give me a little teaser for this last question, a little taste. What is next for Hello Mayuko? Yeah, um, I want to make more videos, uh, continue on kind of like helping people get into the tech industry. Um, like, I think one of the things that I learned last year was how important like community is and how mm. building an online community is just so nice. Uh, I think I've learned that especially through doing the co-working sessions on Twitch. And so um, a lot of community building, lots of content making, just like keep on keeping on. I don't know what that means because no one has really ever had my job before, but uh, being kind of unafraid to, to move forward and kind of jump into the unknown is what's next. <laughs> Fantastic. Very exciting. Well, rip off the bandaid. Go for it. Yes, exactly. I've heard, I've heard a, a, a very smart person told me it's a good idea. So I'm passing it on to you now. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta take my own advice. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I feel this is a, a question I have to ask, even though I, folks know the answer. Where can people find you on the internet? Yes, on the internet, you can find me everywhere at Hello Mayuko. I'm on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, GitHub. I don't know where else there might I might be. Uh, but I mostly post on YouTube and Instagram and Twitch, so you can find me there. Fantastic. And once again, I want to thank our sponsor. Uh, they have a, a series of uh, amazing workshops for iOS and Swift developers. You can go and find out more on their website, which is academy.essentialdeveloper.com. They're free, taking place all year. Go and grab your spot at that URL. Again, once again, thanks to everyone who came along asking questions. It's been a real pleasure having you here. You've been very nice. It's great having you here. And of course, thank you to Mayuko. You've been wonderful too. Until next time, folks, I'll see you around. Take care. Bye.